So the reformer Martin Luther recognised that the church had drifted away from scripture and saw firsthand that the, the corruption of the medieval church. Uh, at this time in history, it was illegal to even own a copy of scripture in any other language than Latin. Church services were also held in Latin and had become more performance art than community worship. And scripture, the very word of God, the gift to God's people was unable to be understood by the commoner. And just as we saw Luther begin uh, translating the Bible into German uh, for the common class, another reformer, William Tyndale, does the same but into English. Now Tyndale was born in England and he studied theology at Oxford University but was despairing because during his studies there were no subjects on the Bible. Later on, Tyndale dedicated his life to producing a Bible for the common man and is famously quoted as saying to a corrupt clergyman that if God spared his life, he would cause the boy that drives the plough to know more of Scripture than the Pope. Now you can imagine this didn't go down too well with the medieval church. So Tyndale had to leave England and work secretly in Germany. And in 1526, the first English New Testament was produced. And despite uh, the medieval church bishop's best efforts, thousands of copies of Tyndale's contraband translation were smuggled into England. A bishop by the name of Cuthbert Tunstall even began paying for copies of Tyndale's Bible so that he could publicly burn them. What does Tyndale do in this situation? He turns around and simply makes his manuscript even better, prints more copies and smuggles more across the channel into England. And in 1535, while he was translating the Old Testament into, uh, from Hebrew into English, Tyndale was arrested and he was put in jail. After a year in jail, he was sentenced to death by strangulation and burning. And Tyndale's famous last cry as he was put to death was, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And a few short years later, an official English Bible was published legally. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, that he would build his church and the powers of hell would not overcome it. Jesus is building his church today. We are part of that mission here in Gungahlin. And one of the ways he builds his church is through his word, the Bible. And today we come uh, to this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in verse 16, Paul writes, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. In other words, the Bible is our standard of truth. The Bible was worth fighting for all those years ago. The reformers had the right heart, putting God's good gift to his people in a language that the commoner could understand. The Bible also says in Psalm 119 verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Today I've uh, brought in a little prop that I borrowed from uh, my friend Raymond, I don't know if he's back from 
Oh, he's back now. It's a, uh, a plumb line, or I think Raymond might have called it plumb bob, I think. So, can we see this over here? You've probably seen one before. It's very old. This one's probably due to go into a museum, I'd suspect. Um, it's a tool that some of us might be familiar with, and uh, it's used by a builder when putting up a building. And what they'll do is they'll attach it to, say, a, a ceiling joist or something. And when, unlike me, the ceiling joist stays still, when the work of gravity is done, then this is perfectly straight. And so what the, what the builder will say then is that this is true. The string is the standard of straightness then that the builder constructs the building to. If there wasn't this standard of truth, then the building would collapse because the walls wouldn't be straight. And so I'm just going to pop this down for a moment. We'll come back to that later. And so just as the plumb bob uh, determines whether everything else is straight, so the Bible is our standard of truth. It's the standard by which we measure every thought, every hope, every dream and every idea. We ask the question, or we should ask the question, how does this stand up to the Word of God? In the days of the Reformers the church had been drifting away from that standard of truth and into error. They'd strayed from Scripture alone, or in the Latin, sola scriptura. In today's passage, we are reading a letter from Paul to Timothy. Uh, Paul is writing to encourage Timothy uh, from his prison cell. Him, Timothy, uh, Paul rather, was arrested because of his own loyalty to the word of God, the standard of truth. If we just briefly jump back to the start of chapter 3, in your Bibles there, Paul begins with the words, and I'm reading from verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. Paul continues on down this path in the following verses and in my Bible I've circled these first nine verses of chapter three and I've marked this section in the Bible as a picture of what life looks like without the plumb line, without scripture alone. But surely Timothy already knows that there will be difficult times. He's experienced them firsthand I believe. I think what Paul is doing here is emphasising that opposition to the truth is not just a passing situation. When Paul refers to the last days here, he's not talking about some distant future days, he's actually talking about the here and now. Paul believed that the new age arrived with Jesus and the old age had begun to pass away. And Timothy and Paul are living in the last days and so are we. 
at the end of this long list of terrible characteristics of people living without the plumb line, Paul finishes with, have nothing to do with them. But that's not to say avoid all contact with sinners. For Jesus himself is the friend of sinners. We know that. And if Timothy were to shun any association with them, he would have to go right out of this world. Rather, Paul sadly referring to people within the church. Paul is saying have nothing to do with religious sinners. This has been happening in the church. But living a life, these people have been professing Christians, but they're living, living a life unlike anything they should be. And perhaps they're like the Libertines, if you know of those guys, from the reformer John Calvin. Uh, he speaks against them when they, tried, they drove him out of ministry in Geneva. These are the kind of people that think just because they're saved through faith alone that they can go back to the sins they've been set free from and simply receive more grace. Now Paul goes on in verse uh, 10 to 13 with a picture of how he is different to these people. How he is an example of life grounded in scripture. He explains that Timothy has also has been following Paul's teaching and he encourages him to continue doing so even though he will face persecution for his stand. You see every Christian is called to be different from this world. We read in Romans 12:22 that do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In stark contrast to the contemporary decline in morals and the empty show of religion and the spread of false teaching, Timothy is called to be different and, if necessary, to stand alone. Continuing from verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy must continue uh, in these things with steadfastness, not allowing anyone to shift him from his ground. The scriptures, the very word of God, makes Timothy and us wise for salvation. In other words, they direct, us, they direct us to faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible points us to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now Paul goes on in verse 16 uh, that all scripture is God-breathed. We began with that. All scripture originates from God. It is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. It makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. What else does the Bible tell us about the word of God and the life of the believer? Well, the Bible's got lots to say about itself. So I'm going to go through a few verses here, which I think will be helpful for us. We're going to begin with Acts. Uh, I'll put these on the screen. We're going to begin with Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Uh, the translation I've got for these is ESV. 
Acts 20:32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among those who are sanctified. See, God's word points us to Jesus and builds us up. When we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then begins the work of sanctification in our lives, making us more like Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 and 12, it says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. God's word provides instruction for us. The history of God's people is recorded that we might see and learn from their good and their bad choices. And then we go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. It says, talking, talking about putting on the whole armour of God, and it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God's word allows us to stand our ground. It's described as a weapon. It's used to protect us from harm and to overcome the enemy, sin. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. It says it's double-edged. It has two edges. It's got a deadly edge and a life-giving edge. See, the life-giving edge of the sword is Scripture. And it performs open-heart surgery on us. It opens us up and it cuts out the infection of our sin. The deadly edge of Scripture is what puts to death the lies that we believe, the sinful attitudes that drive us. We have to be willing to let the Word of God do its life-giving work and its deadly work in us. And when we do, it changes us. It changes the way we think, the way we live, the way we act, and even our character. It sets us free from our old ways of thinking, our old habits. It sets us free to live the way God wants us to live. If we jump into 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, God's Word is His special revelation to us. It's quite literally God speaking to us. God carried along the writers of Scripture by the Holy Spirit, to write down what God wanted them to write down. And back to our passage, as Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, <clears throat> excuse me, 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired. It is God-breathed. So what do we do with Scripture? Paul doesn't just stop at all Scripture is God-breathed. The sentence actually does continue. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. This is what we do with Scripture, with God's Word to us. God gives, gives Scripture to teach. 
God gives scripture to rebuke. God gives scripture to correct our behaviour and to challenge each other. And ultimately, it trains us in righteousness. It teaches us to live right. It teaches, uh, it is the plumb line, the, the, the plumb bob, our standard of truth. And we just briefly go back to uh, verse 15 here for a second. It makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible is referred to quite literally as a handbook for salvation and John Stott writes that the Bible's overarching purpose is to teach not about science, for example, the nature of moon rock, which men can discover by their own empirical investigation, but facts of salvation which no space exploration can discover, but only God can reveal. The whole Bible unfolds God's scheme for salvation. It shows us who God is, that we are created in His image. It shows us our sin, our disobedience to God. It shows us our position to God, that we are under judgment because of our sin. It shows that God still loves us even in our sin and shows us his plan to save us through Jesus, our Saviour. The Bible is the story of God's rescue plan, of God bringing us back to himself, freeing us from sin and shame. The reformer John Calvin wrote that scripture contains the perfect rule of a good and happy life. So since the Bible is about God's salvation plan and since our salvation is through Jesus, the Bible naturally then focuses its attention on Jesus. The Old Testament foretells and foreshadows Christ. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus' birth, his life, of his words, his works, his death, his resurrection. The book of Acts that we've been through just recently tells us of what he continued to do and teach through the apostles and the epistles display the full glory of his person and work and apply it to the life of the Christian and the church. And Revelation, which we've also done just last year, depicts Christ on the throne and coming soon to make complete his salvation and judgment. See, the Bible is the comprehensive portrait of Jesus. It's intended to call us to faith in him in order that by faith we might be saved or we may be saved. Paul continues in uh, verse 17 of uh, chapter 3 there, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Godly living flows out of upholding the scriptures as God's word. In chapter 4, Paul charges Timothy before God to preach the word, to be prepared in season and out of season, to correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Then from verse 3, for a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. In the days of the reformers, the church had been drifting away into error for many years. They'd strayed from the standard of truth, from scripture alone. But it's not a problem just confined to the church. It can happen in our life too. It can happen in your life. We can stray from God's standard of truth, from scripture alone. And here Paul is charging Timothy before God because God is the one who will judge the living and the dead. And Paul explains that men will not put up with sound doctrine and instead have teachers speak only what they want to hear. Can I encourage you today, don't be like that. We read our Bibles, but we're almost always influenced by popular culture around us, by New Age thinking and the like. And we can sometimes even find ourselves uh, even dissatisfied in God's Word, so much so that we start to mix God's Word and our culture together. But it won't work. It doesn't work. And it cannot work. Because at some point these things collide. The Bible collides with our culture. This could be one of the biggest challenges and temptations we face today. We need to decide now, what is my standard of truth? Is it going to be the unchanging uh, word of God? Or are we going to choose our fickle culture? We've got to decide what our standard of truth is. And in Revelation uh, 22... Verse 18 and 19, God's word says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And as Paul finishes in verse 5, I encourage you all to keep your head in all situations, to endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. In other words, choose God's word as your standard of truth. Sola Scriptura, the Bible alone. And to the glory of God alone, soli deo gloria.